you're listening to Prairie Justice, a Greg Sanders Vigilante podcast. Prairie Justice presents the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Well, howdy, welcome back to chapter 3.6 and episode 27 of our Seven Soldiers of Victory leading comics retelling of the Tyrants of Time. And yes, we are Prairie Justice. I believe I forgot to say that. The Greg Saunders, your vigilante podcast, but we've been taking a little break from strictly vigilante stories to tell a seven soldiers story. And uh, this is that penultimate episode because I love that word penultimate. Today we're on the Crimson Avenger and we're going to be hosted to the art, possibly the writing, who knows, of Jack Leyte. Now, I think that this... uh, this episode of uh, this, this chapter of Leading Comics suffers a little bit. Um, it's definitely, I think, the weakest link. It's not that it's awful or anything like that, but it just doesn't match up to the par of, say, the Shining Knight and Vigilante stories and Green Arrow stories that are in this uh, in this volume. And Jack Lady may have had uh, reasons for that. Uh, the previous year in 1941 before the Pearl Harbor attack he himself had suffered his own attack of appendicitis and uh, he was put into the hospital because of that uh, he and his wife applied to the War Department to be deferred for uh, war status and the judge denied their claim now by this point in time July 1942 I'm not exactly certain when he goes off, but uh, we're probably getting towards the end of Jack Lady's time here on the Crimson Avenger before he heads into his war service. If he's anything like Jack Kirby or some of the rest, he's probably hurrying to build up an inventory before he leaves. Jack would survive the war, although the Crimson Avenger would not. Uh, Jack would... uh, be part of the 104th Infantry and was honorably discharged as a sergeant with the Bronze Star, Purple Heart, and four campaign regiments. When the war in Europe ended, he said, I was shaking hands with Russian soldiers 70 miles southwest of Berlin. And he apparently published uh, a history of the World War II battle record of his unit, the 104th, and I'm going to have to have a look for that. I can't say I ever saw it. So we're going to give Jack a little bit of break on this. And I think the only reason I kind of find this, because because I'm getting a little bit peeved with the uh, degrading treatment of Wing. And by degrading, I believe he wasn't that bad towards the end of the beginning, or rather the beginning of the skin-tight costume era. 
of Crimson Avenger and Wing. Previously, he had kind of been the the Kato to the Crimson Avengers Green Hornet. Not, that probably was the Golden Age. When Jack takes over, Wing starts to get chop-chop-itis. And by that, I mean he starts to develop stereotypical Asian characteristics of uh, that artists tended to use for Asian people in um, that period of time. And there's really no excuse for it. Now, it's not as bad as Chop Chop in Black Hawk, but the teeth are starting to get a little buckier, and his language is getting worse, and he's not really developing the, uh, the sort of wisdom that we seem to have. But uh, he still fights well, and he does put up a bit of a scrap, and they still haven't made him an official eighth soldier, and I believe they never really would, at least on the 1940s. And when I say there's no excuse for it, I mean that because if you just look at how stuff is treated over in Meskin and, and Weisinger's vigilante uh, strip, uh, none of those stereotypes really come out, despite the fact that they call stuff the Chinatown Kid, which I don't really think is a slight at all. It's just giving you an idea of where he's from. Now, in this chapter, 1942, kids are going to learn all about something called uranium. And, of course, if they don't learn about it in this comic, they will certainly learn about it in the news three years later after the dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima and uh, Nagasaki. So let's find out about uranium and why do we think that uh, Dr. Doomy wants it. It's a chemical element with the symbol U in atomic number 92. Uh, uranium atom has 92 protons, 92 electrons, and 6 are valence electrons, and I will sleep better tonight knowing that. All the isotopes of uranium are unstable, which makes it radioactive. It's got a half-life of anywhere between 159,000 years and 4.5 billion years. So it's going to be with us for a while. The most common isotopes are natural uranium, are uranium-238 and uranium-235, and those make a difference as to whether you are generating electricity with your uranium or making a bomb out of it. And my grade 9 uh, Christmas term paper is now coming to fruit, fruition. It has the highest atomic weight of all primordially occurring elements. Density about 70% higher than lead. Slightly lower than that of gold or tungsten. In nature, uranium is actually found as uranium-238 or 235 and a small amounts in 234. And they are very useful in dating the age of the Earth. And of course, as I said, uh, many contemporary uses exploit its nuclear capabilities as a fissile isotope. Uh, the discovery of uranium goes to 1789 in the mineral pitch blend, and I think we have talked about that in one of the earliest vigilante stories. And it's credited to Martin Eilerich Klaproth, who named the new element after the discoverer of the newly discovered planet Uranus. 
Well, not insert joke here. You were waiting for it, weren't you? Uh, Eugene Melchior Paleo was the first to isolate the metal, and its radioactive properties were discovered as late as 1896 by Henri Bacquerel. Research by O. Otto Hahn, Lisa Meitner, Enrico Fermi, and of course J. Robert Oppenheimer, yeah, starting in 1934, led to its use as a fuel in nuclear power industry, and ultimately, of course, in the use of the bomb Little Boy, which was dropped on Hiroshima on August 6, 1945. And of course, it's been a um, part of the arms race during the Cold War between the U.S. and the Soviet Union in which tens of thousands of nuclear weapons using uranium metal and its uh, derived element plutonium-239 were used in uh, bombs, missiles, and nuclear submarines. Now we managed to keep nuclear capabilities out of the hands of Hitler and we should probably try to keep uranium out of the hands of Nero. So thanks to Wikipedia, here's our examination of this uh, tyrant of time. Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. That's a mouthful. Born the 15th of December, A.D. 37. And died June 9th, year 68. So he was the fifth Roman emperor and the last emperor of the Julio-Claudian dynasty reigning from uh, the year 54 till his own suicide in 68. He was adopted by the Roman Emperor Claudius at 13 and succeeded him to the throne. Nero seems to have been popular with the members of the Praetorian Guard with lower class commoners in Europe and in the outer Europe Roman provinces, but was deeply resented by the aristocracy. Most contemporary sources describe him as tyrannical, self-indulgent, Dulgent and debauched. After being declared a public enemy by the Roman Senate, he committed suicide at age 30. Now, is Nero nasty? Well, let's judge by this. At the beginning of his reign, uh, with he as he becomes emperor, he is guided by his mother, Agrippina, his tutor, Seneca the Younger, and Praetorian Prefect, Sextus, Raffinus Burrus. But he soon wanted to rule independently and rid himself of restraining influences. So his power struggle with mother was resolved when he had her murdered. Well, that's one way to keep it out of the family. Uh, most sources implicate Nero also in the deaths of his own wife, Claudia Octavia, supposedly so that he could marry Poppea Sabina. He's said to have, quote, unquote, a freedman, no less than the Pythagoras, uh, that uh, gentleman who gave us the Pythagorean theorem. And he acted as bride as part of the ceremony. Well, bleh. After Popea's death in unclear circumstances, Nero in short succession married an aristocratic woman, Statilia Messalina, and another freedman, Sporus, whom he had castrated. Nero's practical contributions to Rome focused on diplomacy, trade, and culture. He ordered the construction of amphitheaters, promoted athletic games and contests, and made public poets appearances as an actor, poet, musician, and charioteer. We'll get back to his music uh, uh, towards the end here. 
the scandalize, of course, his artistic contemporaries as these occupations were usually the domains of slaves, entertainers, and infamous persons. The provision of such entertainments, though, made Nero popular amongst the lower class citizens, but his performances undermined the imperial dignity. The costs involved were borne by local elites, uh, either directly or through taxation, and were much resented. During Nero's reign, the general Caburlo fought the Roman-Parthian War of 58-63 and made peace with the hostile Parthian Empire. The Roman general Suetonius Paulinus quashed a major revolt in Britain, led by the Iceni queen Bodicea. The Bosporan kingdom was briefly annexed to the empire, and the first Jewish-Roman war began. When the Roman senator Vindex rebelled, with support from the eventual Roman emperor Galba, Nero was declared a public enemy and condemned to death in absentia. He fled to Rome, and that's where he commits suicide. His death sparks a brief period of civil war known as the Year of the Four Emperors. Now, the historian Tacitus claims that Roman people thought him compulsive and corrupt, and that he instigated the great fire of Rome just to clear land for his planned golden house and that he seized Christians as scapegoats for the fire and had them burned alive, seemingly motivated not by public justice, but just his own personal cruelty. Some modern historians question the reliability of those sources of those acts, considering his possibility, but uh, a great popular legend arose that Nero had not died and would return. And even after his death, at least three leaders of short-lived failed cults presented themselves as Nero reborn in order to try to gain popular support for failed rebellions. Now, we often hear sometimes when a politician or some leader is starting to fail and their, their realm is starting to crumble beneath them that, and... Uh, when they don't seem to be seen to be taking it seriously, that they are fiddling while Rome burns. And this was a great legend that passed down over the years, and as you can imagine, over a length of time of 2,000 years, a lot of myths develop. As we said, Nero wanted to be a, was a wannabe musician, and some people will say he fiddled, uh, playing his violin during the great Roman fire. Now, whether he actually did uh, play any music at that point in time, it almost certainly was not a violin. The violin will be founded in Italy, but not for another 1,500 years. So, if uh, Nero actually plucked anything, uh, any stringed instrument during that infamous fire, it was likely, as Roy Thomas says, was a lyre, which is just sort of a small handheld harp. That uh, correction was made by Roy Thomas in the All-Star Squadron adaptation, in his free adaptation in uh, All-Star Squadron 29. And I'm sort of utilizing that uh, Roy's lead in my own adaptation of the, uh, of the chapter Fiddler's Farewell. So why didn't I call it Lyricist's Farewell? Well, maybe just tampering with the... Uh, with the title was but maybe I thought a little too much. So uh, in my adaptation, Nero will be playing a, a lyre and not a violin. 
and as his uh, centurions uh, sometimes declare behind his back, not very well. The Crimson Avenger by Jack Leighty Popular legend has it that Nero Claudius Caesar fiddled while Rome burned. But of course nowadays everyone knows that if he strummed on anything at all while Roman slums went up in flames, he would actually have been playing a lyre. Now, tune in on this first recording of an unscheduled concert by that devotee of Discord 2,000 years later, presented by courtesy of Dr. Doomy, evil genius of our own time. Once more, flames roar a throbbing abogato to wailing strings as the last of the time tyrants pirates a precious supply of uranium for the conquest of the future. But the crime-crushing Crimson Avenger and his faithful ally Wing provide a crashing chorus of slamming fists to end the terrible tune. Chapter 5 Fiddler's Farewell The lure of the sea proves too much for a small boy and a smaller dog in an eastern seaport town. By golly, Scraps! We'll do it! Mom'll be proud when we come home with a ship of our own! <laughs> Young Sammy Singer dreams of high adventure. Quiet, Scraps! We'll hide till we're at sea. Then I'll ask the captain to make me his cabin boy. The Triton rocks gently as she leaves harbor for blue water, and the stowaways are discovered quickly. Found the pair of landlubbers in the hold, Captain. The kid is seasick. Uh, please send me home. I, I feel awful. Seasick on a fine day like this. What are you going to do when we hit the storm? But I need my mom. Scraps and I both want to go home. You're a kid. I'll send ye home as soon as we get back at the port, in about five months. Poor Sammy. Like many another thoughtless boy, he has learned too late that the road to adventure isn't as smooth as he pictured it. Swabbing the decks? It wasn't like this in the stories I read to Scrap. Get busy there, Admiral, if it's good for what ails you. And if the skipper sees you lotion, he'll skin you alive. Dusk, and a strange craft creeps out to sea from a sheltered cove on Long Island. Strange music wails as Nero, brought with slaves and soldiers from ancient Rome by Dr. Doom's time machine, plucks toothlessly at his leer. How you like this tune, Horatio? It is sweet as the music of the stars, master. Would sound better towards as distant as the stars. Below the deck are heard more ominous sounds. The vicious crack of a lash. The groans of miserable men. Of mercy! Oh, slaves, row! Break your box! 
The rising moon silhouettes a freighter on the horizon. Yonder's our prey. Fire the signal rockets, Marcus. Aye, master. My ears will relish the noise of battle after music. Aboard the Triton. Vessel in distress. And a funny-looking one, too. Looks like a scow with the sail from here, sir. Helm hard over, the freighter streams to the aid of his supposedly helpless galley. If it was possible, I'd say she's a Roman galley. Anything's possible these days, sir. Ahoy! Who are ye? Why, what movie actors? We drifted away from location and got lost. This was the words Dr. Demi taught me. Below in his bunk, a tired lad is awakened by the shouting. Huh? Another boat? What's that? We're there from a movie. They're dressed like Roman soldiers. We'll hide in this ship till they get back to shore scraps. Then we'll go home. What a mean-looking guy. Never saw him on the movie screen. And those others are chained. We better keep out of sight, Scraps. I know you don't like this ship either. Meanwhile, Nero's treachery gets underway with the swiftness that takes the freighter's crew totally by surprise. Board those boats, brave Romans. My steel clamors for battle. This is piracy, you slobs. You'll hang for this. The unarmed sailors are driven below by the fierce onslaught. Thus did we capture the galleys of Carthage. Lock them below deck. And surrender becomes a matter of minutes. I'll play a song of victory while you choose between death or surrendering your cargoes of uranium. I ain't scared to die, but I can't stand that racket. Stop it and I'll give you the medal. But the distressed rockets have been sighted by a tiny craft patrolling the Long Island shore. Look, Mr. Travis. Pretty lights in the sky. I see them, Wing, and I'm headed for them. It's a Roman galley. And there's the freighter. Here's where we tangle with the great Nero. Nero's just another bad criminal to Wing. They've captured the ship. Ready, Wing? Wing is all set to wallop Roman pirates. Suddenly enter the Scarlet Crime Crusher and Staff. Ooh, these wild-seeming men. It's the Crimson Avenger and man is he welcome here. Welcome to me too, maybe, hey? Romans, slay him! If your Imperial Majesty will pardon me, I'll just put you in your place. So sorry I don't have baseball cleats on my feet. Two heels met their match, and much obliged, Wing. But not even the advantage of surprise can discount the overwhelming numbers of the mail-clad men from the past. That's one less, but they're still coming. Only one drop in a bucket. Wing will take two at a time. Wing is the first casualty. Help! 
Mr. Crimson! They're crushing him under their shields. And as the Crimson Avenger plunges to the rescue with his driving fists. Fuck you murderers! Uh, uh. So although you flout the power and of the noble Nero, set fire to the ship and she'll be the funeral pyre and the tomb of the sailors in the hold. A fitting sacrifice. Nero's not-so-hot music plays an accompaniment to flames as the galley turns landward with its loot. Your emperor is happy and so he makes music. And so only the emperor is happy. Minutes later. Oh, what a wallop. If it hadn't been for my helmet. What's this? Fire! Wake up, Wing! We have got great big headaches and bruises everywhere. Make it fast! The superstructure's on fire! The Pilcherots! They'd have burned us alive! Go get them, Avenger! I'd send men with ye, but I'll need them all to save me ship. They've got Wing mad now. I don't need any more help. A flashing arrow of doom. The powerful speedboat skims the water in the wake of the lumbering galley. Catch up pretty fast, Mr. Crimson. Wink can hardly wait to slap mo Mr. Nero's silly. Don't wear yourself out before we get to them. While aboard the Roman warship. We went from the frying pan into the fire. Golly, if we ever get home again, Scraps, we'll stay there. Up, lazy swine. Up before I fly the skin from your worthless bodies. Fate frowns on the Crimson Avenger, also as his plan for a surprise attack is foiled by a watchful sentry. Hell, soldiers, ghosts have come to plague us. That does it, Wing. We're in for trouble. Trouble is what Wing is hungry for. An ancient Roman ruse is brought into play. Annette, look out! Wing will show the Romans how to make chop suey out of Romans. Hey, we're trapped like poor fish. The more we fight, the more tangled we get. These are now ghosts! Run them through! Do not kill them. Two slaves have collapsed at the oars. Chain these troublemakers in their places. Sammy's fear turns to desperation. The Crimson Avenger and Wing are prisoners. Golly! What chance has a little kid and a puppy got? Doyle at the oars. Kills less swiftly than the sword, but it kills a shirt. Whip is bad, but harp music upstairs is awful. Put your back into it, slave. No matter what happens, I gotta try it. Engard! Oh, you little fiends. I shall feed you to the sharks. Oh, golly! The brave lad strikes with all his might, and... 
I done it, Scraps. Gee whiz, I done it. Yes, you help too. Happy days is come again. I don't know who you are, son, but you're a hero. I'm Sammy Singer. And my pup's name is Scraps. Gee willikers, Mr. Crimson Avenger. You mean I'm really a hero? Set the slaves free when you're through, Wing. We'll need them. When you've beaten them, Mr. Avenger, will you help me get back to my mom? A burst of scarlet haze from one of the Avenger's gas capsules so startles Nero that his bow accidentally produces harmony. Oh, me thinks I perceive an ill omen. Hawk Horatio, the Emperor's music improves. It had better, lest we all go mad. The Crimson Gladiator has a Enough of this nonsense. Slay him outright. Not today, fatty. Folks who stick their chins out are apt to get them smashed. <laughs> we should take him back to the arena and realm the fight. You think we shall ever see Rome again? My beloved Lear. That's the sweetest tune it ever played. Ride him, you Chinatown cowboy. Dive bomber coming down. Freed from their hated crimes, the galley slaves pour from the hold to strike back at their tormentors. You slaves, take the Romans as prisoners. We Now we are masters! You brought this humiliation upon Nero, Claudius Caesar. Now I spurn you and return to... Can that be Dr. Doomy's hideout? So the men of Rome vanish, leaving their conquerors alone aboard the drifting galley. Have I gone crazy? No wing, they've returned to the past. Some deviltry of Dr. Doomy in that lighthouse. Dr. Doomy, you say? We'll give him plenty of trouble, yes? Not right away, Wing. We must get Sammy and Scraps back to his folks and tell them how brave they are. Will they be proud of us? Then tackling Dr. Doomy is a job for all of the Legionnaires together. Plenty of doom coming to old Doc Doomy, eh? No more sailing for me. But when I get big enough, Scraps and I are going to join the soldiers of victory. Atop his desolate tower, Dr. Doomy has watched in despair as the last of his tyrants from the past goes down in defeat before the 20th century champions of justice. Napoleon, Alexander, Genghis Khan, Attila, and now Nero has failed me? Why did I not eliminate those meddlesome legionnaires before I sent them out? This plan would have worked, if not for the meddlesome legionnaires. Perhaps it is not too late. Let them dare come here, those idiots who think the law is everything, and I shall destroy them. Then I can complete this machine to project me into the future. It might work even now, but 
No. It would be dangerous to attempt it. But I shall yet rule the world alone. The most magnificent tyrant of all eternity. At least until an another guy with a name that kind of sounds like mine appears on the scene in about 20 years. Can the diabolical ingenuity of this supercriminal still triumph over the seven soldiers of righteousness? Have they won five separate skirmishes, only to go down together in defeat in the decisive battle of the campaign? Let us see next episode as the curtain rises on the most thrilling adventure of all. The Crimson Avenger appears every month in Detective Comics. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have, about a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity Crisis. Lone Wolf and Cub. Hergé's Tintin. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. It's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultraman... Of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace, this is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. And now my notes and thoughts on uh, the Chapter 5 Fiddler's Farewell as Crimson Avenger and Wing take on Nero and his Roman hordes. Nero hasn't accepted any modern-day gangsters, although he probably would have recognized some of their accents over the last 2,000 years, because, uh, as, as we know from The Godfather and other things, that uh, you know many of your gangsters around Long Island and New York would have been Italian in nature. But instead... Uh, the uh, Nero, the Roman Emperor, has brought on along uh, many of his own centurions and even a, a Roman galley uh, run by slaves who are propelling his, uh, his galley. Now, it takes a while for this story to get going. We don't uh, get to see the Crimson Avenger and Wing until almost, I think, page four. But we also meet a... Uh, 
a proto Jimmy Olsen here who has slipped aboard along with his little dog. Now Sammy Singer and his dog are a little bit evocative of her gaze Tin Tin and his dog Snowy and of course uh, Leite would have known about uh, that Belgian uh, comic strip character at that point in time who is also always getting messed up into nautical adventures and uh, and the like. Well, as a stowaway, Sammy gets caught by uh, the merchant seaman and his captain, who get put to work while well, swabbing the decks there, Swabby. And the next thing you know, along comes a Roman galley with a sail, being propelled, of course, by slaves at the oars. And who's at the front? Uh, well, <laughs> he's playing the fiddle. I know I went on but about leers and fiddles, but... Here's Nero fiddling away, and the uh, his centurions are, you know, predictably kissing his ass, and then when he turns his back, covering their ears, not really caring much for his music. And we also get a uh, an overseer, for lack of a better term, who is taking care of the uh, propulsion part of the gallery, which of course is the slaves, and he is using that uh, leather bit of leather motivation which well here Nero uses the uh, flare gun that Dr. Doomy has provided him with and taught him how to use they pull up to the, sh the side of the ship and yell out that hey we're filming a movie let us on because this is the ruse that uh, that uh, they say that Doomy has given them to get aboard to get after this uranium shipment well Sammy singer sees this from uh, from a porthole and he climbs aboard the galley and he's uh, heading up towards this overseer as that's going on Nero and his troops board the uh, the Freightliner finally uh, middle of page four along comes Crimson Avenger and wing in a speedboat Wing and his uh, absolutely terrible, frustrating Chinese pigeon that I refuse to try to recreate. I'll never say I'm the fairest man in the world, but I don't do it deliberately. And Crimson Avenger gets a, a good roundhouse there at Nero's uh, substantious gargantuan girth. And a lot of punchy, punchy, run, run with the uh, Roman centurions. And of course, because we are in the middle of a Golden Age story, Crimson Avenger and Wing get knocked out. Well, the next thing we see is the liner. As the uh, uranium has been all unloaded, the liner is put, on, put to fire. As predictably, Nero fiddles while the ship burns. Crimson Avenger uh, recovers and assists the Swabies in putting out the fire. Then it's back to their power boat and off to the galley where they find Sammy Singer, of course, has been uh, put to work at the oars, but not before the Avenger and Wing are caught in a fishing net. And they themselves are put to the oars. As the overseer is about to put a whip to Wing's back, Sammy grabs his sword 
and gives him a good old Hassan chop to the head. And the little dog Scraps uh, helps out by biting the ankle. With Crimson Avenger and Wing freed, Sammy uh, finds out he's a hero. Uh, Crimson uses something here that he we hardly, I don't think, have seen in the leading comics, and that's his uh, Crimson Gas Bomb. Basically tear gas that uh, comes out pink. As, of course, Nero is playing his tunes. And uh, the Avenger comes out of the cloud and take, grabs the uh, Nero's fiddle and applies it to its best place right over his head. So whether it's a leer or a fiddle, uh, that's the end of the uh, Nero's escapades in 1942. And as the last of the centurions are rounded up, the slaves from the galley are freed and uh, <laughs> there's no other way of putting it. They put the knife to the throats of the overseer and the other centurions. As the other tyrants of time have done, Nero pulls his disappearing act and heads back to his life of debauchery in ancient Rome. And uh, as a hero, Crimson Avenger and Wing take Sammy back to uh, be reunited with his mom. And his little dog, too. But that's not all, folks. The Crimson Avenger has realized that the nearby lighthouse has had an observer from it. Yes, Dr. Doomy isn't watching on the film screen anymore. He's been watching from the top of the lighthouse. So Crimson Avenger is about to put the word out, and we're headed for the final chapter. And that's all the notes I have for this story. As I said, it wasn't my favorite. Um, I think it was uh, long on action, but very short on uh, anything really intelligent. And Sammy Springer, to my mind, is a very poor Tin Tin. But perhaps he makes a better Jimmy Olsen. That way we can all hate him equally. Sorry, folks. I love Jimmy Olsen. I really do. See you in a few days, folks, as we wrap up Chapter 7 of The Tyrants of Time. Bye now.